Good morning, New Heights. I'm going to steal Noah's line. I absolutely wrote that. It's not hype, it's holy. I'm going with that one from now on. Uh, good morning to everyone watching online and those of you here with me. And I don't know what you call this place, the New Heights Gym Sanctuary. That's what I'm calling it this morning. That God has graciously provided for us to meet in. Before we begin my assigned text, the next section of Paul's first century letter to the churches in the Asian province of Rome, particularly Ephesus. The creative team made a little video that provides us with a great illustration, at least a couple of the great spiritual truths I'm going to try to unpack this morning that Paul wrote about in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, our text. So this is Linda Molman, one of our college ministers, sharing about something that happened to her just a few years ago. Let's watch this video. <coughs> Well, it was several years ago in July and I had been out on the lake with a group of friends and we were bringing the boat back into the marina and we had come and put the boat back up on the boat lift and we were putting things back in the boat where they needed to be. We were also taking things out of the boat and I decided I was gonna jump up into the front of the boat and kind of help begin cleaning the inside of the boat. And so I began to grab hold and swing my legs across, which the whole side of that boat was wet still. And so what happened is when I went to jump, I slid and fell backwards and I hit the back of my head and it knocked me unconscious. And so I began to sink underneath the, the, the boat dock and only three people that were with me saw that and so one had to jump in otherwise I would be at the bottom dead in the lake so when that one person pulled me out of the water uh, I ended up having to go to the hospital and I'm sitting in the hospital and they're recounting the event with my nine staples in the back of my head. And I started thinking, that could have been the end. That could have been the end of my life. And I think, wow, <laughs> what a gift God had given me already. And I started to think, man, the next six months of my life, what was powerful, was I started grasping and seeing what a gift God would give me in meeting a girl for coffee, doing a Bible study with some girls. Just getting to go out on a boat again was just a sweet, sweet gift from God. But as those six months ended, the wonder of that and the amazement of that and the gift that God had given me really started to fade. And I, I think in Ephesians 2:10, when it says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to, good, to do good works, which He's prepared in advance for me, I wanna sit in that. I wanna sit till the day I die in the fact that God would open up doors for me to get to talk about Him. And I have been so grateful for the chance to continue life but that wasn't the end because God has opened up doors for me in so many ways that I'm blessed beyond measure. Probably 10 to 15 foot of water. She was completely unconscious totally incapable of saving herself. In a sense, she was dead physically unless someone saved her. When the friend pulled her out of the gate and she regained consciousness, as she stated, there was a growing sense of appreciation and gratitude <clears throat> that God had allowed her the privilege of physical life for a few more years. And she was physically, probably spiritually, emotionally energized to express that gratitude by continuing to do what she'd been doing before that, if you know her, 
just good works. With that simple and yet profound illustration in mind, turn with me if you have a Bible. If not, you can look on the screen or turn on your phone, your Bible app to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul is going to share some of the deepest and richest of all the passages of Scripture that he's written in these 10 verses, principles. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, first Paul starts talking to those people in those churches in the Roman province of Asia and to us now in the 21st century in Fayetteville, Arkansas. But in the middle, he'll switch to and include us. It's all of us, him included. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, like Linda and the like, in which we used to live when you followed. And now he's going to unpack the three influences in what's called the in-sin lifestyle. It's going to be, at first, the world system that he lived in, that we live in still, and then the one that manipulates that world system, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, and the organized forces of evil, as he'll say later in another passage of Scripture, and then our own sin nature that we were born with. We don't like to think about that or talk about it. I'll talk more about it in just a few minutes. But those three components... When we follow the ways of this world or this world system and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's referring to those that are living in this in-sin lifestyle. All of us who lived among them at one time gratified the cravings of our flesh. Now he's starting to talk about his own and our own sin nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve that we were born with, following its desires and its thoughts, like the rest of us. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Whose wrath? The wrath of God. Again, not a very popular, warm, fuzzy topic in 21st, Western, 21st century Western culture. <clears throat> but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, now it switches from the condition that we were all in before Christ saved us, to God. God becomes the prime mover. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. What we weren't able to do for ourselves, God did by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and by giving us the faith to receive him as our savior. We were dead in our transgressions and sin. It is by grace you have been saved. We've been made alive with Christ. It was Christ's initiative. And then God raised us up with Christ. We sang about that. Last week, Kevin preached about that and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And now he's going to contrast the in-sin lifestyle to the in-Jesus lifestyle, in Christ Jesus, in order. Now he's looking way out in the future, in the coming ages, eons and eons from now. He'll just keep on pouring blessing out on you and I if we know him the incomparable riches of his grace in the coming ages. He'll just keep pouring it out, expressed in his kindness to us. Again, that phrase that appears throughout the book of Ephesians, in Christ Jesus. Jim, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself. Even the faith didn't come from me. The grace didn't come from me. The salvation didn't come from me. More on that in just a minute. It is a gift of God, not by anything you did, Jim, not by works. You weren't any better than anybody else in that garbage heap of humanity when I picked you up, chose to breathe life into you so that no one can boast about it, Jim, as if you did something for yourself. And then he goes very, very positive with verse 10, and it's the key verse for this morning. We, put your name in there, you, you, are God's handiwork. You're his masterpiece created to live how? In Christ Jesus, not in sin. And to do good works. The good works come after God's grace, after your salvation, as an expression of gratitude. They flow out of the in Jesus life for which God prepared personally for you in advance to do. Other thoughts about the passage. 
These are incredible, deep spiritual concepts. I'm going to unpack six of them this morning. Number one, the concept of being spiritually dead versus spiritually alive. Or as Paul says in other places, alienated from God versus reconciled to God. That'd be Colossians chapter one. Again, Linda's video is a great illustration of that. Linda, of course, was more or less physically dead when she fell into that lake and was going to sink to the bottom, unable to rescue herself. Paul is speaking here not of physical death, but spiritual death versus spiritual life. He says, we were spiritually dead until God took the initiative to rescue us in two ways. Number one, by sending his son to whomsoever would believe. He makes a universal offer first. And then specifically by giving us the faith to believe. Again, more on that in a moment. Number two, second concept. And this one I'm going to spend a whole more time on. I addressed it when I read the passage. I'm going to unpack it a little more. One commentator calls it a sphere of influence theology of Paul's. He's saying, generally speaking, people live primarily either in sin or primarily in Christ and under his influence. And the in-sin lifestyle looks like this. It's manipulated and influenced by three components. I said it when I read it. I'm going to say it again. Number one, in order that they appear, this world system. Here's a crack at defining this world system. The realm of ideas, beliefs, and convictions and culture that Satan, he's the prince of the power of the air, now manipulates and controls. Jesus referred to him, we'll see it later, as the ruler or the prince of this world. In effect, the world system and thus many human beings, and us at times, me at times, you at times, are being controlled and manipulated by spiritual forces. We don't even like to think about that. That's so anti-rational, anti-Western, so weird. Manipulated by spiritual forces who are in rebellion against the God of the universe. It's true of unbelievers and certainly at times of believers as well. There's problems with this. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We can choose to walk in this same bondage if we want to. Paul calls those who are conforming to this world system, generally speaking in this passage, the disobedient. Worldliness. That's a term we throw around as Christians a lot. What does worldliness mean? Here's a crack at defining that. A secular, materialistic worldview that has a value system, and sometimes we miss that, that borrows largely in part from God's value system. Let's admit that. Worldliness means a materialistic worldview that borrows from God's value system. By value system here, I just mean to do's and to don'ts. People don't like to think that a lot of them don't, that if they live by to do's and to don'ts, but we all do. That's a simple little, I know value system is a bigger word than that. That's what I mean here. This worldliness borrows from God's value system, but two things that are different. It denies God as the source of the value system. That's the biggie. And number two, it incorporates other values that are created that are totally contrary to God's design for human flourishing. Now, that's a mouthful, I know. Let me put it another way. This is just an aside. To try to live and flourish without God, the very author of love, the very author of that word you're going to see on the back of some of those football helmets tonight, justice. God thought up justice. It's all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. To try to live life without the author of love, the author of justice, the author of mercy, the author of prosperity, and life itself is a futile, should I say stupid? Okay, I'll just go with futile. A futile endeavor. That's a good religious sounding word. Stupid's an Arkansas word, okay? <laughs> Romans 12, 1 and 2. Put your name in here. Therefore, Jim, I urge you, brother, I urge you, sister, in view of God's mercy, his incredible gift of his son to you, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform any longer to what? The pattern of this world or this world system. That's what Paul's talking about here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. He means God's will for you, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. John puts it a little bit differently. Don't love the world system. He's not talking about don't love the trees changing colors and all the things God created. We see tons of Old Testament writers praising God for the beauty of the world around us. But he's talking about a world system. Don't get caught up in it. Don't love the world system and everything that's in the world. If anyone loves the world, now he goes to a third component we'll talk about in a minute, our sin nature. If anyone loves the world system, the love of the Father is not in. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires, they're going to pass away. As Paul says in another place, they're all going to burn someday. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. It's the will of God that we embrace the Son. Which leads us to the next tenet of this in-sin sphere of influence evil spiritual authorities. I'm just going to read three passages of Scripture. Here, Paul refers to Satan and the demons as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Ephesians 6, 12. Later on in this same letter, he'll say this about it. For our struggle, and he's not talking about some one-time big hype thing that happens when you go on a mission trip. He's talking about a daily grind, a battle. It's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against authorities. And he's not talking about the Roman government. Against the powers of this dark world. Against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The in-sin lifestyle is characterized by evil spiritual forces manipulating my thoughts, my behavior, my action. 1 John 5, 19. John puts it another way. We know that we're children of God and to contrast that the whole world of the world system is under who? The control of the evil one. And then Jesus says this, John 12, 31, on the day before he's going to be crucified, he said, now is the time for judgment on this world. What a strange way to begin to judge the world by offering yourself up as a sin sacrifice. Judgment, he says, is coming on this world. And the prince of this world is coming. And he says in another place, and he's got nothing in me. And by my sacrificial atoning death, I'm going to drive him out. Third component of the in-sin lifestyle. Third influencer. We really don't like to think about this one. It's our own sin nature. We were born with it. Some of you weren't taught that. But the Bible teaches that. One passage of Scripture. Psalm 51.5, David says this, I need to remember I was sinful at birth. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, Jim, you were born with a bent toward sin or rebellion, toward wanting to have your own way. Sinful from the time your mother conceived you before birth, you were born in sin. I'm tempted at this point to stop and tell a story. I won't tell it the long version. I'll just say this. Pam and I spent 72 hours with a four-month-old and a a 23-month-old this week taking care of my daughter's children who she decided to go on a cruise. God bless her if she's listening to this. And and, and she deserved it. She had a great time. It was a working cruise. It was one of those Christian love boat things, you know. Uh, Dennis Rainey, family life. My son's a great musician. He got paid to go. It was a free gig. But... I was sick for the last 12 days. That's an official whine from the pulpit. And, uh, and, uh, and to go sick to take care of a two-year-old who was extremely bright but extremely strong-willed and was born with that same sin nature I've got. So two, a future eight on the Enneagram and another eight on the Enneagram who's sick in small confined quarters for 72 hours Listen, she was born with a sin nature. I don't care what you tell me about how precious she is. So was I. That's a sweet way of saying it. Uh, Cravings of the flesh in the passage. Overwhelming desire of any kind that leads us away from God. It's not just sexual sin. We must embrace the very unpopular reality that we are radically sinful And God is radically righteous. 
Okay, two issues or problems that come up, at least my part, I'm intellectually honest with this sphere of influence theology. Number one, are unbelievers capable of doing good? Unbelievers are living to some degree according to God's value system. Yes, they are. They can do great things, good things, in total compliance with God's value system. Genesis 1.27 would be my scriptural hanger. We were all created in the image of God. And even though we're fallen, as I said about that two-year-old and about me, even though we have a sin nature, we still retain some of that tarnished image even thousands of years past Eden, downstream, so to speak. Unbelievers can do good and live to some degree in compliance with God's value system, which brings up other questions I'll answer in a few minutes or try to take a crack at then what's the deal with God's wrath? That's coming. Second question, though. And and, and Ephesians is full of passages about predestination. You can't get around it. Chosen before the foundations of the world. The called out ones. Lee talked about this. And God bless him. He tried, like I would have tried, to try to resolve that intellectual conflict in his mind, in my mind, in your mind. And he and I have read bazillions of books about it. But the conflict is still there. I don't fully understand it. But I live in the tension. But you know what? Just because something is true and I don't understand it doesn't make it not true, okay? But at the same time, I want to say this. Well, the question is, do we have any choices? Or are we all predestined? Do our choices matter? At least half. One time I made a list. I spent months making this list just of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament that that were written as if I had a choice. And about half to two-thirds of his teaching were, Jim, do this, don't do that. If you do this, this is what will happen. There were rules and consequences. And, and if God would take the time to come down here, incarnate himself, grow up as Mary's baby boy, become a Jewish rabbi, and speak for three years, and then get crucified, to try to tell those hard-headed first-century Jews and us hard-headed 21st-century Americans how to live, do this, don't do this, make good choices, Jim. There must be something to the choice thing. There has to be. My choices have to matter. As Joshua said, choose this day, Jim, who you will serve. Our choices matter. They have eternal consequences, and they have here and now consequences. Our choices matter. Third principle from the text. The wrath of God. Now we're getting into really unpopular stuff. What part of God's value system is it that unbelievers are rejecting that upsets God so much that they will experience his wrath? Well, the Bible's very clear on this. And Jesus was very clear about this. This is the very foundation, by the way, of humanism. A rejection of God as the creator and author of the value system. What is the first and most important commandment according to Jesus? Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Just respect God for who he is. This is his universe. He's the creator of it. He gets to write the rules. It's his value system. He's good. Respect and honor God. Don't deny him. But I want to do a little deeper dive. I want to get even more controversial than that on this wrath of God thing. Turn with, well, before we turn to the forbidden passage of Scripture right now in our culture, Romans 1, let me go first Psalms. Let me go positive. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. David says this, the shepherd boy, who looked up probably into thousands of night skies with no artificial light. He says this, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The skies are proclaiming the work of his hands. Day after day, even in the daytime, the sun there, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they're revealing knowledge. Theologians call it general revelation, no matter where you are on this planet. Now, they don't use speech. They don't use words, verse 3. No sound is heard from them, but they have a message. Their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. What's their message? God is out there. 
He's real. This is his universe. Those billions of galaxies you're looking at, Jim, they didn't come out of time, chance, and nothing. What's that Arkansas word? For that? That's stupid. It's intelligent design. When you look at something this complex and beautiful, do you really think it just popped into existence over billions of years? Or does it look like somebody created it? General revelation. Now, turn to Romans 1, verse 18. Paul says this, speaking about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness Godlessness means a no-God attitude. It's sticking your fingers in your ears, closing your eyes, saying, there ain't no God, there ain't no God, there's not no God, I'm going to live like I want. It's a no-God attitude. And the wickedness of people, that means violating God's to-dos and don'ts, his value system. Who suppress the truth. What's the truth? There is a God. You will be accountable. He loves you. He is good. Obey his value system or there will be consequences. By their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Go back to Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. Because God has made it plain to them. Just look up. Look around. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although, and now he's talking about kind of a, a de-evolution of culture and society. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, they didn't acknowledge his right to rule, nor gave thanks to him. And as a result of that, their thinking becomes futile. Their foolish hearts become darkened. And although they claim to be wise, they become fools. I'll skip all those passages that have to do with sexual sin and homosexuality because that's not the topic this morning. And I'm going to skip all those other sins that we commit that don't let us off the hook, envy, murder, so on, gossiping, slandering. Well, I didn't skip them. I read a few. And, uh, and I'm going to point out two more passages, though, two more verses from this passage, verse 28 and 32. Because there's a phrase in there that appears, I think, about four, three or four times in this section. It says, God gave them over. It's like people are running from God. It's God's chasing them all their life. And they run from God as fast as they can. And maybe this is macro. Maybe this is a culture in general. And they get to the edge of the cliff and says, okay, if you're going to jump off, I'll just give you a kick in the pants. If you're determined to do that, God gives them over. Verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it's worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. What's a depraved mind? A mind that calls good evil and evil good so that they, now they start to do what ought not to be done. Then he gives a list of sins. Skip to verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decrees, See, there's an inner knowledge in all of us. We know there's a God. We know we're going to stand before him someday. We know we're going to give an account. They know his righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do them, but they also give heartily approval to those who practice them. It's called reveling in sin, partying about it, rejoicing in your Rebellion against God. Paul says here and in Ephesians chapter 2, the disobedient are under the wrath of God. Next concept. Saved by God's grace. Now it turns positive, not our works. Generally, God gave his son to die a sacrificial atoning death for all who were willing to embrace his salvation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ came and died for us. And then specifically, and this is the harder one, and I don't fully understand it, and I don't pretend to. God gives us the faith 
to embrace this offer of salvation. John 6, 44, Jesus himself said this. This wasn't some Pauline theology of Romans 8 predestination or Ephesians 2. This is Jesus' words. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And good news, if you come, I'll raise you up on the last day and I, you'll spend eternity with me. As he says here, I'm going to keep pouring out blessings on you. Next principle, God raises us up with Christ and seats us with him. I'm not going to spend much time on this. Kevin preached about it last week. It'll keep coming up as we go through the book of Ephesians. Summary, we're destined to rule and reign with him forever. And he intends to pour out his blessings on us forever as an eternal display of his kindness and his love. It goes to our identity as citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. That's my primary identity. I'm here on a spiritual green card, as I like to say. And you are too, if you know Jesus. We're citizens of heaven. I hope you're beginning to enjoy it. Even right now. Even in the midst of all that's going on in your life that may not be good. <clears throat> the unparalleled honor and security you have as a member of God's family. And the relational blessing, even in hard times on a fallen planet, of being intimately connected to God. Wow! You get God, as David said. Let him be your one thing. Looking forward, of course, to spending eternity with him and his family. Last principle. We are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. <coughs> Verse 10. The Greek word for handiwork is poema. You can figure that one out. I hadn't taken Greek, but I figure the translation is poem. And it is. But really, it means a lot more than that. It, means, it could be a song or any work of art. It's a creative masterpiece is the literal translation. You are God's creative masterpiece. Let me just give you a little example of that. The human body. It's incredibly complex, as most of you know. I just want to take one small little sampling of the human body, the human eye. The human eye has over 127 million cells, I read, called rods and cones that line up all in rows. As these seeing elements receive light waves, they get stimulated by these light waves, and they fire off messages that are received by the over one million fibers of the optic nerve, which carry them into the recesses of your brain, the vast recesses of an incredibly complex brain that neuroscientists are just now beginning to understand a little bit more about the human brain. Finally, they slam into the visual cortex, creating the miracle of sight. That's just one little part of your physical makeup and it doesn't even address your capacity to think to create or to respond to god good works what does he mean good works here's the definition for you active expressions of gratitude toward god for his salvation that he gave you john 15 8 jesus said this this is to my Father's glory, Jim, that you bear much fruit. Again, fruit, what does it mean in the New Testament? Three things. Character development. I ought to be less honoring now than I was 40 or 50 years ago because I've been in this program for a little while longer. Character development. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those ought to be growing in us. Secondly, it means spiritual reproduction, investing in anyone's life in a way that draws them closer to God and not further away. Could be an offer of salvation, a prayer, a prayer with someone. <coughs> Could be discipling, mentoring, just influencing people in a good way. People are fruit, character development. What's the third one? Well, that's a broad category. It just means doing good works. Anytime you get an opportunity to bless somebody, you're displaying God's goodness to those around you. So character development, spiritual reproduction, and good works. That's what's meant by this whole concept of fruit. This is my Father's glory, Jim, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. 
Paul is saying the same thing James says in James chapter 5, that faith that is genuine or life-changing is full of good deeds. Good deeds designed by God, you his creative masterpiece, just for you to do. Good deeds at New Heights Church. I want to move now to some specific application. <coughs> Excuse me. That some of us spent some time the last two weeks preparing just for you. You probably got the email yesterday. Hopefully got a hard copy when you came in. If you could pull it out right now, I'm, I'm going to just go through this list for two reasons. I unashamedly want you to feel good. This has been a hard topic this morning. I want you to feel good about the good things that your church has been trying to do for the last 20 years or so and are still trying to do in the area of good works. So Lee calls it sanctified bragging. So indulge me this morning. I'm sanctified bragging on you as a congregation, our elder team, our elder board, our staff, all of us at New Heights. I want you to feel good about your investment of your money, if nothing else, in New Heights Church. And I hope you are investing your money in your church. It's a feel good. But number two, there's always a bite with me. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to get involved if you're not in some of these good works. So I'm offering you the buffet of good works that are available to you at New Heights Church. As a feel good, as a challenge to you to get involved if you're not already. Again, these are expressions of proactive gratitude by one little church in one little corner of God's spinning globe here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So let's take a look at the list. Okay, I'm going to run through them real quick. There's 30 of them that we isolated, condensed down into these two pages. There's actually more, but these are 30. Sunday morning worship services. It takes about 150 to 200, sometimes more, volunteers on Sunday morning to put on this little show that's happening this morning just for you. Um, that was increased or made a little more complicated by COVID when we started live streaming. We need a lot of volunteers, set up people, tear down people, children's ministry workers. I can't name all the tasks here on Sunday morning. If you want to get involved, we'll start with Mick Colinani. He's in charge of the Sunday morning serve teams. Contact him. We need your help on Sunday morning. Number two, worship ministry. That would be Andrew Lynch. Connect with him. His email is listed there. That hundred, mostly volunteers. These were all volunteers up here this morning on the stage. I don't believe there were any staff members on the stage on the worship team this morning. That takes a lot of work. Musicians, set up people. This stage gets set up and taken down every week. The worship team does all those kinds of things. Ozark Worship Night, you saw that. They put that on. Powerful ministry goes on at that. Then we have worship and children's ministry. Worship in youth ministry, worship in the Monday night collegiate ministry, worship in the women's ministry. There's a lot of opportunities to be involved in worship at New Heights Church. Communications and technical teams, Josh Graber, Joel Story, Susanna Story, Micah Kane, you see their emails there. Designing, writing, producing, filming, publishing, communicating. Josh probably spent eight to 10 hours just this week on these two pieces of paper, trying to condense them, cut out words, Make it fit. Make it communicate right. Community ministry, Brad Dutton and Don Stanford. You see their email address. says they, they coordinate 45 adult community groups, four discovery groups. About 600 adults are involved in all these groups. Tons of ministry opportunities just in the groups to help people meet their needs. Collegiate ministry, Chad Holmes and Linda Molman. I'm not going to go over all the stats there. There's probably about 300 college students or more that call New Heights home, that say that's where we go to church. Lots of opportunities, 15 small groups. I'm starting to give the numbers again. I can't help it. I'm part accountant. And, uh, and, and the Honduras mission trips. Linda takes a GTS group in the summer for eight weeks. You see all some of the opportunities there. If you're a college student, you want involved, want to get involved, contact Chad or Linda. If you want to serve college students, they'd love to have you. Youth ministry, Noah was up here doing the announcements. Noah and Becca Hambrice, they're volunteer minister to 120 students, 6th through 12th grade, home, 13 home-based small groups, a weekly spirit night, upcoming events. You can see it. Contact Noah or Becca if you'd like to get involved. Children's ministry, huge need. Thank God for the college students. 
Thank you, college students, for serving faithfully. And all of you that are not college students that serve faithfully in children's ministry, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an incredible work. It takes a team of about 150-plus volunteers that minister to over 200 children each week here. They also produce an online children's ministry. You see all the things they do there. Contact Brad Ringler or Charity Stillings. Women's ministry, contact Don. Tons of opportunities in small groups and large groups and worship meetings. Uh, there's a great group of women do great work, mission trips. Don's email is there, or Julie Bland, who also helps her. Men's ministry. There's the Bobs on Friday morning. Bobs means band of brothers. Led by Steve Brees, meets at the church offices at 615. Uh, there's, there's cohorts we're calling now large group discipleship groups. Josh Foliart leads one. Uh, Chad leads one, Ben Richards. There's probably a lot of more men's discipleship groups. Contact Steve Barisa or Josh Foliart. Young Professionals Ministry, Mick Colanani and Donnie and Kimberly Williams. They're leading a deeper group. This has had a huge impact on our church. I want to kudos to this group. It's the third group in a row with 20-plus young adults in it. In addition, Jennifer and Kyle Matthews provide relational opportunities connections and fellowship for young adults. If you want to get involved, the deeper group is full this semester. There'll be another one next semester. Contact um, uh, Jennifer or, or Mick. Mick's, I've already given his email out, and you can get involved. Prayer ministry or prayer room. Uh, I may be low on some of these numbers. Probably 20-plus people minister every Sunday morning up here during the two services to anyone that wants prayer. Powerful things go on in these little mini prayer meetings. We don't even get to hear about them. People get healed. People's lives get changed because people get prayed for here on Sunday mornings. If you'd like to be involved in that, you can contact Dennis Peterson. If you want to be involved in the Fayetteville Prayer Room, <coughs> you can see in any given year thousands of people from all across Northwest Arkansas and the United States go through the prayer room. A hundred plus churches are involved. There's small groups that meet there, large groups and just individuals that come throughout the day. Uh, they need lots of volunteer gatekeepers to help with that. There's incredible ministry opportunities if you're a gatekeeper. People come in there all the time really needing help, and you can connect them or pray for them. And then the care ministry, uh, that's Brad Dutton. You can contact him if you'd like to be involved. Uh, the care ministry team and many of you provided in the last 60 days, 90 days, uh, probably 60 days. I know you've taken hundreds of meals to people in this church and outside the church. This church has. We're doing a much better job with care. Kudos to Brad Dutton and his team. If you'd like to get involved, contact Brad. Global Outfitters. <laughs> Most of you know we're a global church. There are a few stats here. We have 67 global workers in 24 countries. Five more are getting ready to leave. Uh, we also help support members of local missions agencies here, about 38. We've got strategic partners. Uh, we've got 17 international churches that we either planted or helped support. Uh, Global Outfitters sponsors a big, huge mission conference that's attended now by hundreds of people. Very popular. It's a regional thing. Contact Nathan Allen if you'd like to get involved. Equip Ministry. Those are our classes becoming more and more popular. That's Kevin Rusak with help from Mick. We're going to have about 15 to 20 what classes. I think the schedule just came out last week. And uh, 30 to 40, maybe even 50 people show up at these classes. If you want to get involved, they're great. Uh, you can look online, and the sign-ups are available. Get involved and sign up. Seven Life Habits of a Jesus Follower. That's some discipleship material written by myself and Susie Eller. About 300 to 400 people have gone through the Seven Life Habits of a Jesus Follower. It's a 12 to 14-week study. If you'd like a copy of that or want to do it in a small group, Ruth can set you up. The books are there in our office. They're 10 bucks a piece. The money goes to the church, not to me or Susie. But if you can't afford it, she'll give you a book, okay? It's no big deal. They're notebook forms right now. Sooner or later, we'll get them published, but right now they're in a notebook form. Prophetic prayer ministry. We have a prophetic prayer ministry training. A lot of you probably don't know that. Uh, it's called the Fount. Uh, actually, it says 15. It's closer to 30 people that minister at Ozark Worship Night and at other nights. If you want to get involved, contact Joel or Susanna Story. Intersection and South Church. We help feed the homeless in those two venues. Nellie Beal does uh, 
Intersection, I don't think they need volunteers for intersection. They're limiting that. But I know Debbie needs help with South Church once a month providing meals. Disabilities ministry you can read about. We provide buddies to uh, children with disabilities, significant special needs on Sunday morning. And when we have a small group of adults that meets, contact Jennifer Nicholas. There's her email address. <coughs> I'm running out of energy. Belong is to uh, uh, a ministry to uh, families that adopt or foster children. You can see the stats there. We're heavily involved in that at the church. Contact Hannah Olson. Church planting domestically. Those are a list of the churches we've planted directly from this church, Bentonville, Siloam, Silverthorne, Colorado, and now Memphis. If you want to get involved, contact Josh Foliart. I've already mentioned international church planting. We, we, we are members of the church even before this church was planted. Have planted these churches in these various locations. If you want to get involved, again, contact Josh. Celebrate Recovery, that's Chad and Angela. Most of you know about that. If you have hurts, habits, or hangups, this is a great thing. I've been several times, meets on Sunday night, 30 to 40 adults meets right here at the club. They have a meal. Uh, they also coordinate six small group step studies throughout the week. Right now, some of the Joshua Center counselors are having their own step studies, and Chad and Angela are providing that for them. Contact Angela. Furniture Friends, really, really cool ministry. Zach Blocker and Sam Gaston, they have furniture right now in over 300 homes of people in Fayetteville from 60 countries. They've been loaned or given to them. That gives them relational contact and inroads. This is a great ministry if you want to get involved. There's Zach's email address. A refugee ministry, the contact is Nellie Beal. Uh, we partner with various organizations and individuals to provide food, financial assistance. You can see it, transportation, counseling to refugees. There's Nellie's contact info. The Joshua Center, most of you know about. Um, just a little stat. <laughs> we provided over 32,000 separate counseling sessions last year through the Joshua Center. And those are Christian counseling sessions. We also have something called discernment prayer counseling or steps to freedom in Christ. If you've never gone through that, I want to push that. Call the Joshua Center. It's free. It's free. I urge you to do it. I've done it more than one time. The Joshua Center has offices in Fayetteville, Bentonville, Siloam, Conway, Jonesboro. I think it's actually over 60 licensed counselors they have and a whole bunch of support staff. Beautiful Lives Boutique, most of you know about that. That's Jessica Uranger. Uranga and her team, uh, about 45 women and that are on staff with her. Three high-end women's thrift stores in Fayetteville, Bentonville, and Siloam. Uh, they provide funding for 10 other Christian ministries, most of them not even associated with this church for women in crisis, both locally and globally. Janie Harriman also sources and sells global products at the global shop in those three stores. If you want to get involved with Beautiful Lives Boutique, go online and you can sign up to volunteer. Preschool Place is what it says. Diane Higgins, you can contact her. There's still room available. That just kicked back up this semester. There are 30 plus children involved that takes place here at the club. Sage Ministries, that's for folks like me that are over 55. And it's relational opportunities. I love it. Contact Richard Eller if you want to get involved. Potter's House. Whoo, I'm winding down. Sean Schwartzman, Chris Cooper. Contact Chris if you want to get involved. Three large thrift stores that employ about 125 people. The money goes to support a ministry to 150 plus at-risk children and their families. And again, if you'd like to get involved, there's an opportunity. Last one. Cobblestone Farm Community. <laughs> you hadn't heard a lot about that lately. Thank God. I think we're breaking ground finally uh, next month in March. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's 100 affordable housing units. It's going to be an incredible project. Kelton Hayes has already got the farm up and running, doing incredibly well. That's the only volunteer opportunities right now is at the farm. Or if you want to buy produce from the farm, you can contact Kelton. There'll be more opportunities in the future. You can see it's a collaboration between about five nonprofits and a for-profit. It's going to be an incredible thing. It's already designed. It's already funded. Ground is breaking in March. That's enough. How do I respond to all this? In summary, I guess I'm over. If you know Jesus and your Savior, as your Savior, that you were at one time spiritually dead, wallowing in transgression and sin, trapped in a world system 
manipulated and controlled by evil spiritual forces. Seeking to gratify your own sin nature. God in his great mercy sent his son to rescue you and breathe spiritual life into you. His salvation that rescued us from spiritual death and from God's judgment was not anything we deserved because of anything we did, but it's because of God's kindness, mercy, love, and grace. In response to so great a salvation, we're called to be a living display of the goodness of God by the way we live our lives. You were redeemed, Paul says in Colossians, from a futile way of life, a worldly way of life. You were rescued by God to do good works. God intends to keep pouring out his rich blessings on you for all eternity. So let's offer him our lives as a sacrifice, living sacrifice of good works for our brief time here on his planet. Our expressions of active gratitude, so to speak, for the good things that a good God has done for us. Remember, you've been transferred from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from wrath to favor and blessing, from death to life, created to do good works, enjoy God and his blessings forever and ever. So I have an assignment for you. This week, take some time to reflect on just one verse, Ephesians 2.10. Ask God to show you what good works he intends for you to do this week and in the days ahead. I'll close by reading a parallel passage of Scripture, and I'll be done. <coughs> Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind the people, Paul says, to be subject to rulers and authorities. He's not talking about demons and devils here. He's talking about the Roman government. God doesn't like a rebellious spirit. To be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. Well, we need to hear that in this culture. To be peaceful and considerate. And always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, you too were foolish. You were disobedient. You were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. You lived in malice and envy. You hated and hated one another. But when the kindness and the grace and the love of God our Savior appeared, Jesus saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his great mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified, legal term, by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul says. I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. God bless you. We've got a baptism now. Now someone coming to Christ and wanting to make a statement about it, and then we'll worship him.